Welcome to the RSP Film and Theory. He's Adam Harstead. I'm Matt Waldman. We really are thankful that you guys check out this podcast on a weekly basis and uh, you know, hope you're having a good holiday season and hopefully you have a good playoff season. So we're going to talk a little bit about the playoffs and how it's likely that your team is going to lose. Yeah, we're going to be Grinches a little bit to, um, this week. But also, you know, talk address risk and and what type of risks we, we tend to take in the playoffs and depending on, you know, what seeds we are or what our situations are. Um, maybe we'll give some examples of that with our teams. And then, of course, we'll talk a little bit about what's happening to Dynasty um, in terms of what's happening to NFL careers. Adam wrote a really great piece in his Dynasty in Theory column at Football Guys this week, um, actually last week, um, on what's happening to older players. You know, or something is happening. What we know, we're kind of unsure about. Um, but I would love for you, Adam, to kick off that because it's fascinating to look at the data that you you pulled up and saw that there's a stark difference in production from say a period of like i don't remember like maybe 2000 in the like 2007 to 2016 and then the past five to seven years the numbers seem to be dwindling in terms of players over 30 with significant starter production yeah um and this one really bugs me because um i hate not knowing why something's happening and I really have no idea why this one is happening. And I've had some theories and, and I like to say that like telling if something's true is really hard, um, but it's a lot easier to say, if this were true, what would the world look like? And does the world look like that? And I've had some theories and I, I, I you know, think if this explains why NFL careers are getting shorter, what would I expect the data to look like? And does the data look like? And nothing quite lines up. Um, it's probably a confluence of a number of things, but uh, we'll start with the top line numbers, uh, like you mentioned. So I looked at 30-year-old um, wide receivers to pass 1,000 receiving yards. Um, and I looked over the last 36 years since from 1993 to 2022, um, and I, I bucketed it into like six-year buckets um, just to ease, smooth out like the year-to-year -year fluctuations. Uh, so 1993 to 1998, 37 receivers uh, topped 1,000 receiving yards at age 30 or older. Uh, from 1999 to 2004, that's 43. From 2005 to 2010, that's 40. So again, you know, like everything's fluctuating right around 40 plus or minus 3. Uh, 2011 to 2016, that drops down to 28, which is a big drop from where it was the previous three buckets. And then 2017 to 2022, that's down to 10. And and um, I should clarify, this isn't like 10 different players who have managed to do it at age 30. That's 10 different seasons by somebody who's 30 or older. So like Travis Kelsey has three or four of those 10 all by himself. Yeah. Um, and and it's i mean that is a, a dramatic dramatic decline usually when you're bucketing stuff like this you don't see huge drops like that uh and it's even more dramatic when you realize that the number of thousand yard seasons is up especially compared to the early to mid 90s prior to 1995 a thousand receiving yards was was extremely rare like in 1993 only nine players managed it in the entire league 
and three of them were 30 or older. Um, so that's a third of all seasons. And, and so I, again, use the same buckets. Um, and from 93 to 98, 33.0% of all thousand yard seasons were by a guy 30 or older. From 1999 to 2004, 33.3% were. From 2005 to 2010, 33.1% were. So this is like remarkably, yeah. remarkably stable. You, you, uh, typically, if you see something this stable over that long of a pan, uh, of a um, time frame, it's describing like some ground truth of the NFL. And and the ground truth here is about like a third of productive receivers are going to be over 30. Um, you hit 2011 to 2016, and that drops to um 20.4 percent you get 2017 to 2022 that drops to just 7.7 percent because the number of thousand yard seasons is up and and as you saw from the number above the number of 30 year old receivers is just way 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 down um so that's like a quarter to a fifth of what that stable 33 percent rate was that it was for 18 years um, and I'm willing to bet if I went back further in time, and especially if I lowered the threshold, because the thousand yard seasons were so rare before the mid nineties. But like, if I looked at maybe 800 or 900 yard seasons or whatever the equivalent was, I suspect that I would find somewhere close to that 33% rate, um, back pretty far back. I mean, perhaps even indefinitely. Uh, so like something happened at wide receiver that's, that's clear and unambiguous. Uh, and then, so my first thought when I see this and when I notice this is, uh, is this happening at other positions? And indeed it is um, percentage of thousand yard rushing seasons by a player 27 or older using the same buckets, 31.4%, uh, 45.7%, 42.3%. And now we're into the 2011 to 2016 bucket where the wide receivers started to drop. And this is at 43.4%. So it hasn't dropped yet, but then the last six year bucket it's down to 15.2%, which is just a dramatic decline. It's, yeah. it's half of, less than half of what the, the second lowest bucket was. Um, I looked at linebackers to get 120 tackles at age 30 or older, 26.9%, 17.7%, 27.5%, 20.7%, and then 9.7%. Um, offensive linemen who started 14 or more games. I'm not doing this one as a percent because like the number of starts among offensive linemen is fixed. Like there's no inflation there. Like the number of starts is the number of starts, except it increases very slightly when the league expands and adds another team. And it increases very slightly when the league expanded to 17 games a couple years ago. But 54, 45, 43, big, big drop to 27, 24 in the last two buckets. Yeah. Um, and it's not every position. Uh, number of players who are getting 10 plus sacks um, hasn't really shown the same decline, but across a lot of different positions, uh, you're seeing this drop. And there's a lot of potential explanations for it, and none of them are very good. Like at first I thought that was a, a thing with the new collective bargaining agreement that the players signed in 2011. Um, I believe we've discussed it before. One of the big impacts of it is they capped rookie wages. And um, I mean, I get why they capped rookie wages is partly it was a PR problem when a guy like Jamarcus Russell comes in and makes 60 million and, and is objectively terrible. Um, and partly I, I think the thinking is that the veterans are thinking, well, if less money is flowing to the rookies, then more money will be flowing to the veterans because there's a salary floor. Like by definition, less money to the rookies means more money to the veterans. Um, and 
the rookies, the people who aren't in the NFL yet, they're not at the bargaining table to say like, wait a minute, why are you screwing us? Like someday we're going to be veterans too. But the veterans were just like, eh, it's fine. They'll be veterans someday too. It'll work itself out. Um, and I think the thinking was that this would um, increase like the number of stable careers for veterans. But in fact, it had the opposite effect because now um, if you are kind of a fringe end of the roster veteran, kind of a good high character, high motor guy, um, maybe a little step slow or, or 15 pounds undersized, um, you're like a special teams captain, a guy who's like a really good locker room leader. Um, right now you cost like 1.8 million and a um, late round rookie costs like 750,000. It costs like a third as much as you. And so teams are like, hey, I can save a million bucks by replacing you with the rookie. Now, I'd lo I love having you on the team. You know, you're a great locker room presence, but a million bucks is a million bucks. I can spend that money elsewhere. And so, yes, more money is flowing to the veterans, but it's not flowing evenly to the veterans. And instead, it tends to be funneled more towards the top of the distribution. The quarterbacks um, we saw recently with the top wide receivers, A.J. Brown, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, Stefan Diggs, Cooper Cup, getting these monster contract extensions. And, and even like the second tier receivers or the third tier receivers like your Christian Kirks getting a lot more money. Um, but those like end of the roster, special teams, high character guys, good veteran mentors, um, they're getting squeezed out more. And so that was my first thought is, is the reason these careers are declining is because of the new CBA. Um, teams are just replacing these former 30, 31, 32 year old players with cheap rookies. Problem with this theory is twofold. Um, first of all, the timing doesn't quite line up. Uh, in that the positions seem to have their drops at different times. Like wide receiver went down um, a good bit right after the CBA and then a good bit more in the next six years, which maybe you say, okay, the NFL just took a little while to figure out and adjusted the new reality. And they had all these old contracts that had to work through the system and whatnot. Um, but other positions um, like running back didn't drop at all immediately after the new CBA. Um, and uh, offensive linemen dropped immediately at the new CBA and then didn't drop again a second time. So the timing on all of the positions is just a little bit off. Um, and also, if the narrative is it's these end of the roster guys who are getting squeezed out by the CBA, well, those guys weren't going for a thousand yards in the first place. Right. Um, so that would show up in the number of like 400 yard seasons by a 32 year old receiver, but it wouldn't necessarily show up in the thousand yard seasons. So yeah, the CBA narrative is not a great one. Um, we can talk about like the college game is getting faster and more athletic and incoming players are becoming more pro ready than ever. Um, and so before like older guys would hang around because you had to train up the replacements, but now the replacements are ready to go earlier. Those older guys are expendable quicker. Um, that doesn't really line up either because you would expect that to be more of a gradual shift rather than a sudden drop. Um, and also, it was interesting this week, uh, Andrew Whitworth was talking about the state of offensive line play in the NFL. And he said that, like, offensive linemen, like, the offensive line plays atrocious. Uh, and a lot of it's because in college, because of the systems that the teams are running and because of the talent mismatches, they just, they're just not required to sustain blocks at an NFL level. And so they're coming in unprepared. Um, but offensive line was the one that saw the biggest and the most immediate drop in terms of 30-year-old players. So if this is a college players are getting better story, 
we shouldn't have expected seeing that. We should have seen offensive line holding stable. So yeah, there's a lot of great explanations. Great, except for the fact that they don't really seem to explain anything. Um, and I'm not entirely sure what's going on, and that bugs me. Uh, because, you know, if I know what's going on, I know how to react. If the CBA story and the CBA changes, then I can I can start valuing older players more. Um, if it's a college talent story, then if the CBA changes, I don't I don't change anything at all. Uh, so yeah, it's I, I hesitated to write it up for the longest time because I feel like, I mean, to me, the what is a lot less interesting than the why and the how. Yeah. And here's one where I've got a what but no why and how, but it's kind of an important one. So I decided to write it up. Um, right. And I'm actually really excited to talk to you about it because you have just this completely different perspective. And I wonder if you have any thoughts on what's going on. Oh, I do. And I found it really fascinating, to, and especially when you write up something that is just a what without a why, that's extremely fascinating because that's really going to happen. So, um, so that was kind of exciting to see this because it was so notable. I mean, the first thing that came to mind for me was maybe and i don't i can't correlate when the the history of these things match up or not but the rules changes to and and the the care with concussion protocol and head injuries might be a factor because when you think about how you know i mean we know this was starting to take traction probably around 2005 to 2010 um and there was a lot more vocal talk about it, but it was really starting to be implemented after 2010. Um, so you could see how that may have, gra they've gradually gotten more stringent about that. Players may have also starting to realize, you know, that come in and seeing this level of care, they start to look back and go, is it really worth it for me to play another year? Am I, you know, the symptoms I'm having, now I know what they are because a lot of, players would talk about oh yeah this was just part of the game you get dinged up and you know you you'd hear noises or you'd see weird things or you'd have you know these symptoms and i didn't know they were concussions i've probably had hundreds of concussions you know we heard that story and now they're talking about you know chronic encephalitis you know encephalitis and what happens as a result of all that in their aging careers and i think players seeing that seeing their heroes who, you know, seen Junior Seau and seen Marion Barber and seen players who went through a lot of that, I would have to imagine they grew up watching those players and then they get to this level and we saw players opt out. I mean, I remember that the Borland kid from Wisconsin, the, the linebacker who came out during that time was with the 49ers. Um, they drafted him and he decided, you know what, forget it. I don't even want to play. I, I don't even want to do this and I feel all the better for it. Um, I know that there you know there's a there's some nfl people i've talked to who scouted and played the game and they attend he's you know one of them you know is a you know one of them is an analytics professional who talked about he attends regular meetings um that are about you know for head injuries because he's had some and he keeps a you know he's very vigilant about trying to care for his body in that fashion and there's a, so i think the increased awareness of maybe head injuries could be an issue especially when you look at the the positions so for instance you know with you know with players like wide receivers them taking hits over the middle um offensive linemen they tend to take hits and contact from defenders 
tacklers certainly are going to have their share of that. But defensive ends, generally, whoever they're tackling, they're usually tackling from behind or they're usually dominating as a pass rusher and they're the aggressor. I don't see many defensive ends getting head injuries or we hear about defensive ends getting as many head injuries not since the uh, head slap was banned at least yeah pretty much so it's usually it's people who are taking what they give um so i could see how maybe that's a factor i don't think it's the factor but it may be a fascinating one to see when all the rules legislations came in for types of hits and things like that because i mean think about it like yesterday i was making a joke on the football guys message board about um it they were i think joe bryant had something on there about um the kelseys and that and then being from cleveland and then it degenerated into me egging on steelers fans with turkey jones um basically suplexing terry bradshaw on his head back in the 70s and um and then I had another video of Mel Blunt dumping Cliff Branch on his head. And Branch went on to play like another eight seasons. And when you saw the, what, what Mel Blunt did to Cliff Branch, you look at that. In the NFL today, that wide receiver probably would have been out. Cliff Branch probably would have been out for like five or six games. Um, you know, so you wonder if now what you know, when you know what the danger is, and now you understand what the conditions are, you don't keep playing. The salaries are also, then you have on combination of that, the salaries being higher, you, you know, per player. Whereas before, you know, there were players back in, you know, way before the 90s. But still, like in the, you start in the early 90s, even in the late 80s, there were players who had to take part-time jobs um, in the off-season occasionally, you know. And so you wonder if, you know, the increased salaries, the ability to understand how to um, maximize wealth, the um, training, the, the, you know, the training has changed so much that now you have, you know, people who are caring for your body and you have teams of people around you if you're a high-end player who are working with you. So you're hyper aware of everything as a finely tuned athlete. And maybe you start to notice that A, you're slowing down, then combined with that maybe the thing is too is that may maybe the sal the CBA isn't impacting top players in the way that you're mentioning, but one way that it is is that when you do turn thirty or start getting closer to thirty, and now it's time for contracts, you know, GMs, owners, coaches are thinking, you know, we don't want to spend that, we don't want to spend that veteran minimum on that star anymore to have him be the main guy because we have someone who's coming up or we feel like that they're skilled enough. And then when you look at the game, the way that you brought it up is that, you know, with more spread offenses, um, you know, it is deteriorating and if lineman play for sure, it's probably, um, to a degree deteriorating running back play in terms of the, the knowledge that you need to have of how to run in tight boxes. Um, it's probably on the same level helping wide receivers get more technically skilled on a certain level earlier, at least as route runners. Um, maybe not in always as route runners, but maybe from the physical constructs of route running, the conceptual part is still taking some time. But it's at least there's 
there may be with more spread offenses too, coverages maybe aren't as dense in the middle of the field. Um, so maybe the reading of the field isn't quite as difficult as it once was. I don't know. I, I, I guess the biggest theory for me right off the bat is the head injuries. And, you know. Yeah. I was thinking about it as you were talking about it. Um, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know enough about like offensive line or like linebacker play um, to, to really weigh in, especially at linebacker. I think that seems super plausible. Um, but I don't hear a lot of, I mean, I feel like if people were calling their career early, we would hear like when Borland did it, we knew that that was, you know, when Calvin yeah. Johnson did, when he had something left in the tank, but it doesn't feel like we're seeing more people walk away when they have something left in the tank. So here's um, a, but here's a question with that real quick is that, okay. If you've, if, if you've played say since 22, 23 and you've played five to seven years and now you're you know, 28, 29, 30. Um, is it really, would you really call it a career due to concussions or would you really just say it's time for me to walk away because I know that it's a combination of factors that you wouldn't really talk about. Like you look at, you probably look at it as a team and you go, okay, there's a guy breathing down my neck. I, as I've seen, they're not going to pay me what I'm probably, what I think I'm worth. And, um, you know, seeing the, and because they're not going to pay me what I'm worth. And then on top of it, I have been banged up. I have gotten hurt. You know, I've, I've had some head injuries and that's a little scarier. And now that I'm getting older, I'm at this point where the money's just not justifying, you know, the contract's not going to justify me taking that risk anymore. And the increased level of competition on top of that, I've had a long enough career. So it's not like I'm not playing football because I'm not, because I didn't have a, because of, I'm afraid of concussions. It's more like I'm not lengthening my career to get that extra bit of money that I could get to top it off because of concussions as a factor. Yeah. I mean, again, especially at linebacker, because linebacker has always been like the running back of the defense, much shorter careers, I think a much higher prevalence of head injuries and just a lot of open field collisions. Um, like to me, this sounds plausible. I, I like to look at wide receiver the most um, just because I think it's, it's the most tractable position. I mean, it produces the most evidence that we can evaluate objectively and systematically. Um, and so looking strictly at wide receiver and and this requires the assumption that the thing that's going on at wide receiver is also the thing that's going on at other positions which i don't think is a very good assumption at right. all but like we'll just start with that i don't really get the sense that there are people who like could get another contract if they wanted to but don't and and so like the names that come to mind um aj green julio jones des bryant Demarius Thomas, uh, all four of those guys were all pros in their 20s. Those four guys combined for one 1,000-yard season at 30 or older, and that was Julio Jones at age 30, topped 1,000 yards. Um, A.J. Green played like another four or five years, didn't top 1,000 yards. Demarius Thomas was in the league and playing, couldn't top 1,000 yards. Des Bryant desperately wanted into the league, and nobody would sign him until he finally landed with Baltimore for a few games at age 32. Um you just mentioned a, a group of players 
who are that a lot of evaluators would say their style of play is extinct in the league now. Um, in the sense that they're all players who were um, large, rangy, sideline, boundary players who didn't always run, with the exception, I would say, of Thomas and, Thomas and Green, I'd say, are different than that. Um, they were players who could run routes inside and in the middle of the field. Um, one of them suffered, a, a A.J. Green suffered enough of an injury that he slowed down. But they're, they were guys that you threw the ball up and they went and got it. Um, and it was a lot of back shoulder fade plays that that at one point seemed to be the fad. And now it's kind of more like everybody can do that. And I think that maybe what we're realizing is that back in their range, everyone thought that was a special play when they were doing it and that they needed a special kind of player to do it. Now every wide receiver knows that technique. And when you spread the field, you can use it from the slot. Now a guy like Calvin Ridley does it, you know, and, and we, and I know people thought Ridley was special occasionally because they thought he, they'd see him do that on, as part of his highlight packages. Now we're realizing that he's not that special in, in that regard. Um, and that, you know, the slot fade is just a, a construct of a play that's unstoppable. And as long as you have the minimum um, physical characteristics to play the position, you, you can execute that play with some degree of success in the NFL. It doesn't mean you have to be a big, strong or rangy player like the, the four you mentioned. Which, yeah, I mean, now we're getting back into the whole replaceability theory, which, again, just doesn't fit at offensive linemen. Like, that's yeah. the opposite of what's happening there. It, Yeah. Um, well, at, at offensive line, I mean, and that's the thing. Maybe it's, and that's the hard part is maybe it's not, it, 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 it looks obvious that it's not one thing. It's not, it's not any one thing, but it could be multiple things based on, what's gone on over the years with and it and applies differently to those positions because with offensive linemen um you know there as you can see how one thing's happening schematically the opposite issue is taking effect like when you spread the field then you're placing less experience less importance on the running back position because now you're not it's not so dense in there that you need a running back who is as adept at um processing information as quickly as they once did um you know ezekiel elliott 10 years ago would still pro uh, maybe not 10 years ago 20 years ago ezekiel elliott would still probably be a guy in his 30s scoring elite production in my in my estimation because he'd be so important as a red zone player and he would be you and they and they ran the ball, ball a lot more between the tackles so he would still have heightened volume and volume would dictate that production and they would continue to roll with him that way because of the fact that he processes the field so well but now with the way we spread offenses out and i understand that there's been lately but then the the theory that kind of flies in the face of the past two years where with too high we've seen more um um offenses where you have two tight end sets and three tight end sets and now you're you know you're constricting the field again in the middle of the field a little bit more often but you're they're doing it in a way where it's kind of 
one extreme or the other. You often see that with offenses now. So I don't, and maybe the numbers haven't completely borne that out because you said through 2022 and 2023. So the reaction, you know, it's the past two years have been that reaction, um, that counter reaction to spread 2017 to 22, 22 is a bucket is more still the spread era. So really you could say the running, you know, because the spread era running backs are actually have lost them some of the value of their process in the middle of the field because now you can use speed guys outside and run kind of designated punt return plays. I mean, a guy like Elijah Mitchell or Cordero Patterson would not have been a running back um, 15 to 20 years ago before spread offenses. They just wouldn't have been good enough to, to be high-end players. I would argue Tony Pollard might not have been a thing, you know, that that long ago. So you look at that, but now when you, when you, and then I'd say with offensive line, the same thing applies because now splits are different. You know, maybe now that splits are a little wider and not as, and not as narrow. Now you have to be, maybe there's, I don't know, maybe there's has to something to do with that or the amount of room that they have. I would have to look into the offensive lineman part a little bit more, but I almost think that for every action, there's like a counter you know, there, there's some, there's an opposite reaction to it. I would have to think that somehow when you spread the field with wide receivers and bat, it may help wide receivers. It probably hurts middle of the field players other than quarterbacks. And that would be linemen and running backs, you know, in the same way that it probably hurts linebackers too, you know, but edge defenders probably doesn't hurt because in the same way, what's funny is that when I look at techniques for players, Edge defenders and wide receivers on the opposite side of the ball have a lot of commonalities. The way they play the game, they both have to release at the line of scrimmage to get separation. And they use very much similar skills. Um, so when you look at edge defenders, you know, a lot of what they're doing, even working inside, they're, they're it's like rub routes. You know, twists are basically rub routes for wide receivers, um, you know, or mesh plays. You know, so defensive ends don't get as banged up. That may be part of it. Um, you know, let's say offensive linemen do. Um, and maybe the techniques for offensive linemen don't have to be as strong with spread offenses. Um, and so that's part of it. And, and I almost would, if the game continues to go the way it has the past two years, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a correction with this bucket, this next bucket over the next five years. But, you know, we'll have to tune in from that, <laughs> that point to see if that's the case. As you're talking, I'm sorry, I'm kind of no, I know. distracted. Well, I forget even what you said, but something got me thinking about something. And I kind of like this idea. Actually, I'm, I would need to, I'll need to kind of yeah. turn it over a lot and see if it holds up. But, you know, I was thinking that maybe careers are ending early because the quality of incoming talent is making people more expendable. What if it's actually um, the opposite side, where careers are ending early because the quality of the incoming talent on the other side of the ball is making it so so they can't keep up? Like, I'm thinking, like, wide receivers, like, defensive backs have gotten so much faster and better and more athletic over the last 10 years. Yeah. Whereas, like, maybe 20 years ago... AJ Green could hang on with old man game 
and and um, feast on some of these weaker corners and and be like a not Jerry Rice because nobody's ever like Jerry Rice and right. we probably won't ever see another Jerry Rice. But having like that Jerry Rice thing where like he's that wily veteran and like he keeps losing a step, but it doesn't matter. Um, I think if Jerry Rice were playing in today's era and he were lining up against you know Patrick Sertan Jr. and these super hyper athletic um, pro ready young cornerbacks, um, I don't know that he makes it to forty two. And then we're talking about like offensive line is this position in crisis where the quality of offensive line play is down. Well, the quality of defensive line play is not down. Um, we're seeing bigger, faster, more athletic defensive linemen all the time. And maybe those bigger, faster, more athletic, young defensive linemen are out here ending offensive linemen's careers early yeah. where like, you know, if you're a, a 33 year old veteran and you're going up against the pass rushers of 2004, 2005, you can hold your own, but you're going up against these, you know, crazy athletic. Um, and, and Whitworth was talking about a lot of times guys who might've played offensive line in college are switching and they're switching to defensive tackle and defensive end. Um, and so you, the talent pool of pass rushers is better that you have to contend with. Um, I know and, with, I know with wide receiver though, that you look at an anecdotal case of like, say Deandre Hopkins and say, He's a perfect example of the guy that probably could continue playing, and he's at 898 yards in 13 games right now with, a with I would say, a shitty rookie quarter, well, a decent rookie quarterback who plays shitty Better than sometimes. what he had. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Good for his receivers, bad for his team. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but he's at 898 yards and six touchdowns. And, you know, for a Tennessee Titans team, that isn't all that great. So, and there's really nobody else on that team that's like taking away um, tough coverage for him, you know? Yeah. And I wouldn't say that, like, I mean, obviously, old man game still has value. It's yeah. never not going to have value. It's just, I think the that amount, maybe yeah. in the past, it could compensate for a bigger loss in athleticism than it can today. Like, you could, old man game would cover a lot more weaknesses before, but now. Um, if you have those weaknesses, you're going to get exposed earlier. If it's a wide like, open game, that makes sense. And, and so, yeah, DeAndre Hopkins, maybe like 15 years ago, maybe he could be like a, a um, Joey Galloway or something that plays until he's 36, 37, 38. Now, in today's NFL, I, I wouldn't expect him to last that long. I don't think he's going to have, like, no. he's going to challenge Larry Fitzgerald no. maybe um, or two. even like Andre Johnson. Maybe two, three years for him. We'll look at it that way. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think in theory that makes perfect sense, though. I'm certainly rooting for him to be that guy because I've always joked that this guy looks like he could play till he's 40 um, with the way that he knows all the angles and plays the game. And, and he doesn't look yeah, like he's letting up. Yeah, I think he's the best up, example of a guy but, today with, with old man game. Yeah, but, I don't, but you're right. I don't know many other players that I could think of that would probably last that long. Maybe Tyree Kill because of the, he's so fast. And if he doesn't have a devastating injury, um, he he could be that That's Galloway like type Galloway of thing. Yeah. Yeah, where Galloway lasted forever and everybody's like, well, you lose a step as you get older. Well, Galloway had steps to give. Like Galloway, he loses so, a step and he's still one of the fastest yeah, guys in the league. So did Deshaun Jackson if he just didn't get so yep. banged up. he That was yep. his biggest issue because he's one of those guys that showed up repeatedly of top, top 12 seasons, you know, like number of top 12 seasons and even seasons he got hurt he showed up on some of those because his point totals were so outrageous when he did play you know later in his career 
And then, like, Adam Thielen would be another example of, like, everybody thinks that Adam Thielen is, like, this wily veteran because he's white. But, like, Adam Thielen is low-key one of the most athletic receivers in the NFL. Like, the guy's an athletic freak. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, and so he'd be another example of a guy, like, sure, he's, he's playing great now, but he's another guy who probably had a step to give. Yeah. Uh... You had to to be drafted that to not come out of a, a low-end school like that and get any attention whatsoever. Right. You, you had right. to have that level of athletic It's ability. funny. Like, when, when Diggs and Thielen were on the Vikings, the player that everybody thought Thielen was, that's who Diggs was. And yeah. the player that everybody thought Diggs was, that's who Thielen was. They're like, oh, Stefan Diggs, he's like this super raw, athletic, tackle-breaking, after-the-catch machine. And Adam Thielen, he's this, like, gritty, precise route runner who's yeah. just, like, getting open at all costs. And I'm like, I think he's got those names if, reversed. Dude. I, if I had if – I, if I won the lottery and I could just let – and just, like – like if I was going to die, knew when my death date was and it was coming quick and I won the lottery, I would probably go to the senior bowl and convince Jim Nagy that we need to put head to body like um, um, covering over all the wide receivers um, and have people guess who these players were while they're running drills and people and all their all their stereotypes would be completely fucked up because it would be you know like i i used to joke that with uh with Nel jordy nelson like if you took jordy nelson and covered him up with his 451 speed and from head to toe you would have thought he was a black wide receiver you would have mistaken him for a number of big names that you that you would have never described him as a wily veteran who's who just gets by on physicality lunch lunch yeah. yeah never we did that. you did your um team to defend the planet almost a decade ago now like forever ago yeah. um and jordy nelson was actually one of my picks um because like he kind of presaged the rise of this like big hyper athletic slot um that we're seeing now uh -huh. where like he started out as a boundary receiver and he was phenomenal as a boundary receiver i, I joked that he was like 90 percent of brandon lloyd 100 percent of the time as opposed to brandon lloyd who was 100 percent of brandon lloyd 50 percent of the time you're talking my language now um but but um green bay moved him into the slot which i thought was like a really interesting thing this is before like everybody's like hey extend wide receiver careers by by kicking him into the slot um and he was doing, like, they were doing some really deep stuff, interesting stuff. Them and the Patriots with Gronkowski, like, seam stretching, like, really big slot receivers, um, kind of like five years before the rest of the NFL. And that might be part of it, too, where, like, before, there was this path for wide receivers to extend their career by moving to the slot. But slot's taken now. Yeah. I'm on Ron St. Brown's there. You know, Cooper yeah. Cup is there but and, and he's aging but like he earned that role there when he was young and, and and it's not like a free square where like we want to keep this guy on the team where can we stash him like you got a guy in the slot now who's, yeah. who's doing stuff and i think that you know i know that there have been people who for years have talked about the equanimity of saint brown class where like that's what it's often referred to in draft circles because St. Brown, Mike Mayock gave him like a top five grade and he didn't get drafted until like the fifth or sixth round at best, I think. And, I, and, and there are a lot of people that year who were saying the wide receiver class, wide receivers are getting more and more skilled. That's what the word is because they're doing all of this extra work. They're starting to get their own position coaches. They're learning route running and release techniques earlier than before. It's becoming a higher demand with the spread. There's more wide receivers on the field more often in pivotal roles. Um, and we're going to see better wide receiver talent. And then that year that they were talking about that, 
the it basically cratered, but it was because evaluators were still evaluating the the big guys who were the Des Bryant types and and still kind of like saying these guys are super valuable when they really weren't. Um, so you you know you I think maybe part of it too is that in fact they are getting more their their baseline of skills is higher. So, you know, it doesn't mean, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, if he lasts, he's going to last because his advanced positioning skills at the catch point against defenders, his ability to foul without being called, which is, to me, I mean, it's cheating. And, and I love it. Like, to me, he's like the wrestling rule breaker who, for some reason, you still would, if you were into professional wrestling, you would still find somehow be able to suspend disbelief that he could still take on a guy half his age and be um be a viable you know opponent and a part of it was that he knew how to cut all the corners and do all the dirty things where the referee didn't watch him and DeAndre Hopkins is exactly that type of player um so it's you know knowledge of the rule book understanding how to bait players and get away with different ways of cheating and not being caught as well as excellent tech, peerless technique and um, understanding of concepts of route running with zones and being on the same page with your quarterback. Those are all advanced skills that take time to learn. But, but at the same time, you know, in the college game, if you already know how different types of footwork and handwork releases and get them down and ready to go, you're at least playable now early on earlier than you were you know 15 years ago so, i don't know it's a that's a fun topic to chew on and i got a i got one for you sure. um just for registering hypotheses and testing them what would you say are the positions where the baseline level of talent athleticism skill has risen the most over the last 10 years i would say I would actually say wide receiver probably is one of them. Um, okay. I would, I would argue that cornerback is another, um, and I would say on the receiving side, probably tight end, um, and I would even say quarterback. Quarterback is definitely one, just because of the level of coaching that's involved with all of that. I would say those are all ones that have really gained in skill. So if my current hypothesis, which I kind of like, and I mean it hasn't really survived contact with the enemy yet, will I'll I need to give it some time to poke some holes in it. But like if that's true, then I would expect opposing positions to see um, fewer like less longevity so cornerback and wide receiver are both up i would expect both positions to be showing less longevity uh wide receiver is i'll have to check cornerback if quarterback is up well if tight ends up that probably um bodes poorly for the linebackers who are often and safeties with covering them and safeties yeah and if quarterback's up i think that would also bode poorly for so i haven't checked safeties if this um and I don't know how I would check with like a with a simple query or whatever. I guess maybe yeah. I just filter out and only look at safeties. But if this um, current hypothesis is correct, I would expect that safeties would show a decline similar to um, offensive linemen, wide receivers, um, but and and not sustain it like say defensive ends have. Um, 
are there any other positions where you think the quality of incoming talent has gone down, like offensive line, or, or do you do you agree with Whitworth's assessment that um, incoming offensive linemen are, are weaker now? I would probably just say because I don't really study that position, I would take Andrew Whitworth's um, word yeah, that it's you know decent it. person to defer yeah. to on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would totally take his word for it. And I, I'll also say, like, I'm always skeptical of this because every NFL player who has ever played in retirement has said my position was better back in the day. Like yes. every single one. That's the default. So, like, of course, Whitworth is going to say, oh, offensive yeah. line. But man, when I was playing, that was the golden era for offensive line. But also, like, that doesn't necessarily mean he's wrong either. And, and yeah. I do think that seems at least plausible. And I think that part of it, too, is that if we look at what you were, we've talked about over the past 45 minutes is that if more talented players are going to the defensive side of the ball because they know they're going to get paid better and they know that their athletic ability is going to shine brighter um, and there's probably less pressure. I mean, think about it. When you're, when, you're a, um, when you're a defensive tackle or a defensive end and, you're, and you just merely get pressure on the quarterback – you're getting celebrated now, but yeah, if you're, you just a, need to win one out of three plays. Yeah. Whereas if, you you're know, a, if you're an offensive lineman, you need to win nine uh, out of 10. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So, and if you give up pressure, that's a big deal as an offensive lineman now, as opposed to just merely, you know, close, you know, it's like close, they used to say close only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, nuclear war. I would say it also counts in defensive lineman play or pass rusher play close close counts whereas close also counts in the opposite direction for offensive linemen in a bad way so yeah i would say it's just less appealing to play offensive line you have any other positions you can think of where the talent has um maybe not gotten worse but not gotten better at the same rate as it has at the other positions is I, there anything that jumps I, out i think safety is one of those because huh. again you used to have box safeties who could really tackle and, like, I loved Grant Delpit because I thought he was a combination. He was an aspirational combination of Charles Woodson and Troy Palomalu, uh, players who could be disruptive, cover sideline to sideline, um, be in the box, but also cover, you know. And you saw some of that this year with him where he covered T. Higgins in the slot and did a really great job of that one-on-one. -on -one. But when you look at his tackling, it's very high-flying, high-risk you know, high reward type of tackling. He's he he misses tackle still, and he's kind of and a lot of it's because he's throwing his body around in ways to. He's not bringing his body as much as he's diving to make the play. It's like a it's like a receiver who makes all these acrobatic catches, but then he has to go over the middle and and take the shot on the dig route and probably drops the ball or alligator arms it a little bit. I would say Delpit doesn't try to avoid tackling that way. It's not that he's not tough. It's just he's not well built to do that. And I think that there are, you know, you think of Dawkins and Palomalu and Reed and guys who could come in the box and and Woodson later in his career doing that. You know, they could they could cover, but they didn't have to cover quite as um they didn't probably have to cover quite as much. They had to cover maybe some tight ends. They occasionally had to cover a bigger receiver that they put in the slot, but wasn't a, a specialist in a way that could really destroy them. And so 
I I think that that's part of it is that safeties the game has changed and it's harder to find guys are they're either they're kind of a blend of players now like say strong safety free safety what's really the difference now that's kind of the joke in some ways whereas before there's a very clear skill set between being a strong safety and a free safety and that's been kind of that may be part of it too I'm glad you mentioned Dawkins there, who I think never really gets his due, who, in my opinion, was every bit the player Troy Polamalu was and just never gets oh, – everybody yeah. got focused on on Reed and Polamalu. And, and there, which do you prefer, Reed or Polamalu? And then Dawkins was the third. Whereas to me, I think Reed was clearly the best of the three. I think yes. arguably the best defensive player of all time. Um, that's an argument I'd be very happy to make. I, I like, 20% believe it. Um, and then Dawkins and Polamalu were the next two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm still thinking about, um, I think you would agree that, like, would you agree that um, blocking tight ends are worse than they were 10 years ago? That that the skill of blocking, as as tight ends have become better receivers, they become less blockers coming in? Um, repeat that question one more time for me. <laughs> <laughs> would you agree that, like, as you said, tight ends have become more skilled as receivers, would you say that they probably become commensurately less skilled as blockers over the last 10 years? Yes, and I would say yeah. part of that is a function of that it, the way they're used. Again, if you're spread right. out, you don't need to be that inline guy. Yeah, I think we talked about it last and year. And it's become more specialized. So many trade-offs at the position. Yeah, yeah it's specialized because, like you know, look at Brock. You know, look at Brock Wright versus Sam Laporta, and that gives you a good example. Brock Wright can do certain tight end stuff um, that you know, as a receiver, that's competent. But he's not going to give you what Sam Laporta gives you on the other end of the spectrum. Laporta or even Kyle Pitts are not, or Travis Kelsey aren't going to give you what their inline um, peers do. It's a they're they're like sub roles now. There's so many sub roles. That's part of it. And we I, we were talking about Hawkinson as like the, the one of the last true complete tight ends. And everything you hear about Hawkinson is about his deficits as a receiver. So like it, it doesn't even pay to be like a plus blocker and, and an all-around um, kind of versatile piece. I mean, it pays for the Vikings. I think yeah. the Vikings' offense is better because of Hawkinson's versatility, but like in terms of perceptions of the player, yeah, I, I, if I were a tight end coming in or if my kids were going to be tight end, I'd be like, yeah, don't worry so much about the blocking. Focus on the receiving because that A, that's what's going to get you paid, yeah. and B, that's what's going to keep the fans happy. Yeah, no, this was good. So let me ask you this. You know, we could probably delve into playoff stuff a little bit more next week too. But just out of curiosity, um, what are there any risks that you are more inclined to take, um, you know, based on your playoff standing um, with your teams? Or is it just really applies specifically to what your team makeup is at this point? Yeah, you said before the show that you got sick of hearing the Marcy Grossman rule where you dance, you, when you get to the dance, you dance with the one that brung you. Yeah. Uh, I have bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, for me, it's not so much dance with the one that brung you. It's, um, I feel like, and, and I write a lot about, like, we're bad at playing matchups, not because we're bad at it, but just because it's inherently, you know, like a tough task. And I think we overrate how impacted players are by the opposing defense you know like as an extreme example justin jefferson if he's healthy it doesn't matter who he's going up against he's going to get his against the new york jets he's going to get his against um cleveland browns he's going to get his against whoever because he's justin jefferson um and 
And so I'm very big on, um, I just want to figure out on my team, who are my best guys? Who Like, who do I consider the best running back on my team? Okay, I'm going to start him. Who do I consider the second best running back on my team? Okay, I'm going to start him. Um, and I, you know, I live with that. If I start um, a guy who I, if I start Josh Jacobs in a bad matchup and Jacobs has a bad game, well, you know, I can live with that. I brought Jacobs here to, to start those games for me. Um, I actually had in, in football guys staff league last week. Um, I've just been busy the last couple of weeks and I haven't been able to pay as much attention. So I just like auto clicked whatever the football guys rankings were, um, which is, you know, that's a good bet. Football guys rankings are, are really good, but I usually tweak a little bit. And um, I didn't realize I had benched Brees Hall for Zach Moss, which goes against my, you know, like start yeah. the guys who I think are the best. Cause obviously I think Brees Hall is my running back to there and Zach Moss is not. Um, and then of course Hall has a huge game. Moss has another rough outing. Uh, and I, I missed the playoffs. I wound up losing the matchup by six points and I wound up losing the total points tiebreaker for the season by 10 points because uh, of it. And yeah. I'm like, because I wasn't, I didn't follow my rule. I got a, and I'm sure there are times when I've deviated from my rule and it's helped me, but I don't remember those. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I've been more of a, a matchup tinkerer with certain things that have helped me in the playoffs, but it's only because I think I go a little deeper than I can go a little deeper in certain ways, but it's also burned me. So, you, you know, it's a, it is, you're right. It's a difficult scenario. And I, now it only comes up when there's, legitimate issues like you know being a sixth seed in one league where keenan allen now is out and i have to consider guys like Jaden reed or adam thielen you know or Jaden reed and or is it going to be Jaden reed and parker washington somebody like that where i look at it you know have to look at those scenarios and and decide on players and it's and and i think that um but you know, I, yeah, we'll go into this more in detail at another time. I think we had a good, you know, a good conversation about, you know, about what's been going on in, you know, with older players and, and how the league dynamics are changing. And that was a lot of fun. And, you know, I think folks, listen, you know, you can check out more of Adam's work at Football Guys. There's, you know, th there's the Dynasty in Theory, which is, you know, fantastic. Of course, there's Regression Alert. Check out his Rent-A-Kicker articles if you need to pick somebody up. Odds and Ends, you know, another good piece if you're if you're a gambler. Um, do a little betting. That's always a fun one to, to look at as well. And um, you can find my work, you know, here at Football Guys as well as, you know, Matt Walden's RSP. Um, the RSP pre-draft, post-draft guide it has an early bird um, purchase discount through December 21st. So you got one week left to do that. 1995, you get the pre-draft, post-draft, um, you know, and they're available April 1st and then um, one week after the draft. Probably, I would say by far, probably the best thing that I do in this space. So if you like what you see here and, and other outlets, um, you know, all of that really comes from, you know, the work that I do with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. You can get it at mattwaldman.com. Thanks again for listening, folks, and we'll see you next week.